welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I will be your host for this evening or this afternoon or this morning or any time you happen to be listening because after all, it is your podcast. Now joining me, this is going to be a work in progress episode. We haven't done one of them for a little while. Well, not probably since last week. But joining me tonight or today or this morning from the Hill Game Company is Casey Hill, and Casey Hill has come here to talk about Archon. And Archon is a... It's going to be like a two-to-four-player card fantasy battle strategic card game thing that he's going to come <laughs> on and he's going to talk about. So, um, yeah, so hi, Casey. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Doing great. It's uh, good to have you on. Um, we have got a few things to cover off. Um, going to talk a little bit about yourself. We're going to talk a little bit, little bit about this fantastic-looking game that you've come up with, and um, yeah, just um, find out a little bit more about the the campaign when you're setting it off and everything like that. Now, obviously, the reason that we do this podcast is because we quite simply feel that there's not enough podcasts out there about board gaming. Yeah. Uh, we've checked iTunes, we've checked Stitcher. Apparently there's only three board game podcasts in Scotland. There's us, there's the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast. And apparently there's also the First Player Marker, which um, I don't think we've spoken to them yet, so we have to at some point. And the other reason that we do this is because um, we like to get people like Casey on the show because... We're always interested in finding out about new games that are going to be coming to a Kickstarter near you. Um, but one of the first things we'd like to find out a little bit about is your actual history with the hobby. So while everybody yeah. sits back, relaxes, and has themselves a nice drink of tea, which is what I'm going to be doing, Casey, <laughs> do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the world of pressed and printed trees, please? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, first off, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, so for games, I come from a family of seven people. So with a family of seven people um, growing up, we played all sorts of different games. Um, and that ranged from tabletops to RPGs to, I mean, really the gamut. Um, that was kind of, I think, one of the unifying things when we were all young. We would just all get around games, and, and a lot of those were, you know, standard staples when I was young, the kind of monopolies and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. But we also, we also created a whole bunch of them, new ones, right? Uh, my, my dad was an entrepreneur and really kind of drove forward, always generating new games. And um, so it was kind of a mix of, of playing the, the standard staples and, and kind of getting exposed to um, creating our own. Um, and so, and I, I had kind of a lot of a writing background. I was really into writing, creative writing, fantasy writing. So I was putting a lot of those together. Um, and then what kind of led to the creation of Archon and to this first kind of project was kind of a combination of, of getting the bug of entrepreneurship and kind of combining that with the passion for tabletops and with games. So when I was in college, I was really into Magic the Gathering, you know, pretty common <laughs> staple of the industry. <sighs> right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so I was buying and selling uh, Magic the Gathering cards as well as playing, and um, I realized that, you know, this, what I was doing, I could, you know, share this information, I could write about how to buy mm. and sell cards that might be valuable for, for other people. Um, and so I kind of started down that journey and I, I built some relationships with some wholesalers. Anyways, to make a long story short, I wrote an e-guide um, that went on to sell over a thousand copies. Um, and it was just, you know, a small, short e-guide, um, but it had, you know, overwhelmingly positive. We had, I think, only two returns or negative feedbacks ever um, mm. for that product. And so... I, I kind of realized like, wow, this is awesome. You know, on one hand, I was working my little part-time job at a phone center, and then I was making three times as much um, doing something that was super interesting, which was selling a how to sell Magic the Gathering guide. <laughs> so <laughs> that uh, that kind of got that fixed on me, and I was actually paying for most of my college with what I was making from, from that side gig. That's... And so I was like, 
That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Dial it yeah. back. Dial it back, though, Casey. Tell us yeah. about the, tell us about the games that happened in the Hill family. What were the name of these games and what kind of games that they were? You don't get off that easily by saying that you sat there and made some games and not tell us a couple of these games. You obviously you said you played uh, you played Monopoly, but and you invented a couple of games. So what were these? What were these other games that you got? Kind of you invented and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so starting off, we were me and all my brothers were really into tabletops, Dungeons and Dragons RPGs. So, mm-hmm. we we wrote and created a lot of campaigns in that arena, right? We would do handmade campaigns, different rule variants of Dungeons and Dragons, and that was, you know, one kind of area. The second one I would call is kind of like game modification. So, we all would right. take certain games like Risks, we would invent new cards, new effects, and and seek how we could kind of like change the dynamics in those sort of setups yeah. um and and then we we had you know so my dad ran electronical engineering company and so he had tons of power tools so we would design all sorts of different boards and all sorts of you know special parts for all sorts of of different games and i i, I mean i don't know if we had really like one particular one when we were young that we really kind of ran with I think there was a lot of turnover. We were kind of just developing and, and making miniatures and pieces. Um, and and so it was kind of an asundry. Um, but we would be down there in his shop all the time just creating. Just creating different stuff from, you know, you know, math games to, you know, figurine games, movement games. We yeah. won the one that comes to mind right now is we made Wizards Chess, which was basically just a bunch of different figurines and on a chessboard, and we had like twelve different races that we had set up. Uh, but there was there was a bunch um, that we kind of that we kind of toyed around with. So <laughs> your dad was quite your dad was quite encouraging for you to use your imagination then, and when it came to the games, was he was he was he a bit of an inventor as well as being like a an entrepreneur if he had a workshop was he just constantly turning out kind of new stuff to try and sell and things like that absolutely absolutely he's definitely always been very much the the inventor type and you know whenever whenever we had projects and different stuff he was always the first one to collaborate with us pretty much on whatever genre it was um you know whether it was writing you know books or whether it was you know different things that we've dabbled in through the years um he always was kind of helping us out and and because he had his shop we also Hmm. had like a lot of resources so yeah definitely definitely super instrumental for sure so was he like the dad in kind of gremlins he had like the bathroom buddy and stuff like that like in the (laughs) machine you could (laughs) you know press this button and have was there stuff yeah i mean in that kind of atmosphere was i mean of your other you know your other siblings have they gone on to be quite creative kind of quite inventive, kind of have the same kind of entrepreneurial kind of take on life that, that you've obviously had as well. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know if um, the other ones are necessarily, I mean, my older brother is working on this project of Archon with us and he's was, you know, a key designer and was really instrumental in, in kind of the development process. So, so absolutely, um, you know, my older brother Tyler was definitely very involved with that. Um, and my other siblings, I mean, they all kind of were, went on to be creative in their own ways. You know, my, my younger brother is a developer. And so, you know, with coding, that's kind of, you know, it's like a whole world of possibilities once you know that language. Um, so, you know, they, I think they, they kind of dabbled each in their own, in their own arenas. Um, I think me, my dad and my older brother probably were the ones that were most vested on the specific kind of, you know, gaming front and gaming design. Um, but I think they all kind of utilized that uh, creative yeah. spirit in their own ways. Okay, okay. I mean, um, you said obviously the the magic guide thing. Did you, as well as the business side of the Magic the Gathering, did you kind of are you one of these people that kind of developed like a healthy collection or an unhealthy collection, as some people do? Or were <laughs> you did you kind of keep it at arm's length? You know, you had like a couple of couple of hundred cards or were you one of the guys that had like you know 20 30,000 kind of magic cards at your disposal <laughs> it's funny you asked that because i was listening to another episode and, and you were asking the guy like did you have like a thousand or like five thousand <laughs> cards and i was thinking oh man we're, we're talking like 20 30 50 thousand um yeah, yeah we I, had, j- we had... I just think it's a problem that people you know they just they've just let magic the gathering kind of 
but let just me grow. <laughs> but but let me but let me tell you this, Richard. I so for the last you know four years that I've played, um, even though the cr- collection has grown, I haven't sent uh, spent a cent on it um, because you know basically I only do drafting, um, and you know there's prize supports at the various stores. So as long as you're consistently getting you know between first and third place, you can kind of play in perpetuity. So as the collection grew as a as a hobby, and I haven't actually played too much Magic the last you know two years since I've kind of started uh, working a full-time job as well as doing the, the Archon game. Um, but yeah, when I played in the past, I, I did a multiple year span where I didn't spend a dime. So I, I always, I always, uh, I, you know, benefit. I didn't, I didn't sink too much money into the, uh, <laughs> into the hobby in that sense. How many cards do you have, Casey? Uh, well, right, right now I probably have none, right? Because oh, I, okay, that's a good call. But how many did you have, Casey? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I had I had boxes and boxes because you got to understand I was I was selling them too, right? So I would pick up other people's collections and I would buy you know ten thousand cards and and you know sort through them and had a whole specific process there. Um, so you know at, at its height, I just had boxes and boxes and boxes. So I mean, do you kind of keep? Is there the excitement of going through a box and realizing that somebody's got like kind of like ultra, you know, ultra uncommon, ultra rare cards? Was there still the kind of the fan of the game to say, wow, I could really put together a really healthy deck from this lot? Or were you kind of thinking, well, actually, I can market value states that I could sell it for this, I could sell this for this, I could sell this for this? Was it kind of a a mixture between, um, was it kind of a mixture between that kind of mindset? Yeah, you know, for me, I definitely think that, you know, I enjoyed Magic almost kind of like in a casual context, the actual playing of the game. I just, for me, I really like drafting. You know, everyone starts at the same playing field. It doesn't yeah. matter how many cards you've bought or purchased. It's more of the strategic, like, mechanic side of it, which I think is what resonated with me. Um, and so, you know, when it actually came to the boxes and the collections, I actually never, you know, played standard or modern or any of those formats that required you to accumulate um, cards to build decks. That was more on the financial, the business side was the, the actual collecting. And then mm-hmm. for me, the, the fun was, was the drafting, was everyone kind of starting in an open environment and and playing and and I'm also the one who is you know magic light my uh my brother is currently a gold level pro player and they fly him all around the world um he's been to you know Japan and he's been to Belgium and um you know they pay for flights um for people gold is the second to the highest um level of kind of professional player and so you know he he does very well in that circuit so he's the he's the hardcore magic I'm I'm definitely the casual (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Those big brothers, eh? They're just gonna just gonna shove it down your throat when they're better than you at something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. He can't just be normal. He can't, you know. He's gotta go away and do his old jetting off around the world with his little gold champion badge and stuff like. That. No, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, that's. I mean, that's cool. I mean, if you happy, as they, the old um, saying goes, happy is the man who's paid for his hobbies. I mean, I take it that's what he just does full time. He just goes out and plays magic. He doesn't do anything else. Uh, no, he's a he's a quantum physicist. Um, so he's a <laughs> he's, he's brainy as well. This is just yeah. He's a he's a quantum physicist, and uh, then he he kind of does magic on the side, and uh, we we rope him in for the mechanics discussions when it comes to Archon. He he he's the kind of mind that is just very good for um, like during the development phases. Um, mm. You know, the way that we kind of went about developing Archon was we kind of focused on specific areas that we thought were really instrumental, you know, like interaction, replayability, and we'd kind of, you know, run a lot of these open play tests. And then with that feedback, we'd sit down and we'd say, okay, like, how can we really create more interaction in this environment? Um, and that's where he was, you know, a super key piece of that puzzle of helping us implement dynamics that really kind of helped elicit those kind of results. So, um, yeah, he was definitely, definitely a key key for us to get to where we are today <laughs> do you get um do you get much of a chance to then sit down and kind of play play some games yourself while you know obviously archon's developing you guys seem super focused on it do you still kind of kick back and just have a nice little relaxed kind of kind of cardboard session Oh, a- absolutely, absolutely. I and my wife really enjoys um, gaming as well. You know, just this last couple of weeks, we've played um, Mysterium, Betrayal at House on the Hill, 
Karmica, uh, Star Realms is a is a favorite of ours. It's in some ways Star Realms has a lot of commonality just in terms of being like a small single box card game. Um, yeah. You know, Archon's Archon's not a deck builder like Star Realms is, but I think that Star Realms is a very well designed, very interactive, high quality um, game that's kind of a similar like sizing portability kind of setup to Archon. So do you um do you play online on Star Realms? No, no. I know there is online, but um, we've mostly stuck to just kind of our our gaming groups, if you will. Really? Um, no. I mean, we no. I have the app, and I must I must confess that um, since I got the app, the even kind of like sitting down the physical side of it is sometimes easier just to have the app and do the kind of the pass and play kind of thing. I think the only thing that um, irks me about playing Star Realms the physical version is the scoring on it sure. <laughs> sometimes you're just yeah. tempted to kind of rip out like a um, kind of rip out a kind of an empty uh, a Magic the Gathering kind of score counter you know the apps that you get for your phones <laughs> just, totally. just doing that or just get like a, you know a couple of 20 sided dice or whatever just to kind of keep an eye on the, kind of keep an eye on the score um, totally <laughs> Mysterium yeah um, is a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Is there anything, I mean, is there anything that you're kind of keeping your eyes on at the moment that's out there just now? I mean, obviously you're focusing on the game, but is there anything else you've kind of seen recently that you thought, well, actually I'd like to, I'd like to have a shot of that. I'd like to have a play around with that. Oh, oh, totally. Yeah. This, this Christmas, I have a, a long list. I think, I think there's some staples that we just haven't got to. I mean, first and foremost, Pandemic Legacy. I mean, that's exalted as, you know, the, the, the game, you know, number one on BGG. And never, all never heard of it. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I mean, no, it's, it's kind of like, yeah. I mean, are you season oneing or are you season twoing? Uh, you know, I, I kind of want to get both. I don't know if that's a uh, gluttonous here, but, uh, <laughs> I think uh, yeah, you know, it's Christmas time. Knock yourself out. I mean, if yeah. you're gonna do, if you're gonna do kind of global uh, biological disasters, then you might as well go all in. <laughs> yeah, and I and 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 Matt Leacock, who's the the founder of Pandemic, um, you know, he's also just I think a super seminal figure in the cooperative gameplay space in general. We uh, mm. we run a blog. I run a game design blog on our website. And uh, we had we had him on for just like a written interview kind of set up. Um, oh, cool. And yeah, I think he's he's super impactful. So I'm also really curious to try it out from that end. Obviously, I've paid, played regular Pandemic, um, yeah. but I'm really curious to kind of explore that other piece. I, I have a lot of respect for him as a designer. Anything else that you're looking at? I mean, have you looked at the likes of, say, like Charterstone or, you know, oh, this, yeah. yeah? Yeah, totally. That one's I, on our website as well from Jamie. Yeah. Are you um have you written about it or are you actually got your managed to get your hands on a copy yet? I don't have my hands on a copy. I really want one. Um I I, really I, want one. I had him on uh Jamie was on for also just like Matt um on our blog. We have an episode a written interview on game design from him as well. Um but yeah, I've I've talked to him about that before wanting to get my hands on a a copy of Chargerstone and looks looks super interesting and and I also he's another one of those people that just always seems to churn out really high quality stuff. So um, yeah, I, I have not yet, but definitely that's another one on the wish list, as well as uh, Terraforming Mars is another high one on my. Um, I hear a lot of yeah. good stuff about, so I, I have a lot, man. I I wanna <laughs> I wanna play them all. That's the best thing about see when I don't know about you, but see when you got to the, when I got to that age of kind of like thirteen, fourteen, and the kind of the the magic s man's magic is gone. So you know it's kind of like your parents are involved in Christmas. <laughs> and you don't want to get toys because you want to be cool. But it seems like now it's like it's like I can just potentially just ask for toys for Christmas. <laughs> but grown-up toys and justify it completely that they're providing me with an educational cooperative atmosphere. And, you know, it gets everybody around the table and we're all being sociable, so what's not to love about it? And it's absolutely fantastic. If I, yeah. you know, my if if I wrote down my actual Christmas list, there would definitely not be um, slippers on there. There would definitely not be a bathrobe. There would not be a nose hair clipper. Um, there, were not, there would not be a new new frying pan. None of those things would be there. There would be Charterstone would be on there for starters. 
right up the top. Pandemic season one, because I want to play season one before I play season two. Right. Um, you know, I'd like to get my hands on Dinosaur Island. I'd like to get my hands mm. on, you know, um, I've heard some really good, you know, some really, really good things about that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I, I I love I, I there's just so much good stuff out there. I mean it, it's, it's almost like takes a lifetime to play through it all. <laughs> I'm a kid at a candy sh- I'm getting my kid in the candy shop again and I'm you know, I'm losing enough teeth as it is without <laughs> without <laughs> this barrage of this barrage of sweet, beautiful cardboard. Do you, I mean, as because of the space that you're in, because of the design space this is when we kinda go back into the serious questions you know sure, join, us sure. after, join us after the break when we find out about Casey's uh, <laughs> Casey's motivation no um, because of the space that you're in because you're involved playing a lot of card games is that your do you find yourself kind of checking out the, the kind of the competition to see kind of what's out there when you see a, like another card game coming to Kickstarter are you kind of sniffing around you know, just to see what the mechanics are involved. I mean, have you have you played Ashes, Rise of the Phoenix Born? Uh, I have not played Ashes, but that's another game that is very high on my list. I'm I'm a huge fan Plaid Hat Plaid Hat games. I just love their art. I mean, I'm a yes. I'm a big art advocate, and art is yes. like a, a big thing for me. And that's when we tried to infuse in Archon. Um, and I just I think they're one of the best in the industry. So I have immense respect uh for for their art team and and that's just another one on the bucket list but i definitely want to play it okay um you have to play it <laughs> yeah i, I do and, say, and, and, i you and, have to play it no yeah um, and to your and to your and to your question though um you know when we developed archon initially you know it's just this is kind of constantly a thing we're doing is we're just you know like i said since i was young we're kind of creating ideas um and we put together archon starting with just a deck of playing cards um and it was kind of built around this concept that you know we we saw in a lot of games there was a lot of like dead cards like this game is good later game this game is good in this situation and we wanted to try to create kind of a, a model where you would have just you know flexible use um, and so that's kind of how it initially came into birth and then mm. as we went through the designing process um so it started with like multi-use cards like multi-use cards we wanted that to be a key piece and then we started realizing you know as we went through and as we started to play test um you know hey how can we add you know depth of strategy how can we add replayability um how can we make it streamlined and simple because good games also i think have that ability for you to be able to pick them up right if the barrier of entry is is you know impossible then you lose out on a lot of people that might be able to enjoy it so we wanted to to tackle that um but during those that two years process um that we've been kind of developing it that's where i think we've really been kind of refining mechanics and we look all the time as many games as you can play i think makes you a better designer right because you're exposed to to it and it helps you make your content more unique um and more differentiated so we're always trying to you know play through and we've probably done i've probably done you know 50 to 75 new games uh during that period but as we're chatting about there's still you know hundreds (laughs) that i i haven't got a chance to so i think you always incorporate um what you learn from those experiences into the process of design um, but we didn't really go about it in a way of like looking at games and then saying like hey how can we do something like different from magic um, yeah. we, re- we really kind of designed a game at a very very kind of like threadbare level and then we said wow this is this is actually really enjoyable um, how can we expand this out and, and make it more robust and then as we kind of went through the evaluation process I try to be very kind of categorical and what I mean by that is looking at okay what is you know this feedback that we got from these you know three local gaming stores we went to what is at a core is what what are they saying um and then you know glean that out and say okay this is about interaction you know we saw that this guy was on his phone during when it wasn't his turn and this was and then we pull that out and realize like okay we need to make sure that we put in something that makes sure that people are really engaged you know, yeah. on every opportunity. And that's where bidding came about, which is another kind of core piece of what it is now. And and as soon as we made that transition, um, it was huge. I mean, our playtest groups, you know, bidding was a massive hit in, in terms of incorporation versus kind of the more conventional resource system, you know, pay, pay this many resources for this thing. 
this kind of auction style bidding embedded inside of a, a kind of flexible use card game, I think that was both a differentiator for what makes Archon kind of unique, but it was also something, I think most importantly, that really made it so that everyone was really engaged on every turn. And we saw that difference and we saw that in our feedback slips um, that we were getting back during those play tests. And so we were really excited. We knew like, okay, this is, this is the right direction. And we kind of continued to build on that. How much was a how much of an influence has your brother been on the design of the game in terms of you know when you get to the level that he's at he's obviously going to have some access to kind of behind the curtain was he was it a double edged sword and sometimes did you you know did he you have to take his feedback and his thoughts on board but at the same time be willing to kind of draw a line in the sand and say actually we need to kind of make sure we're keeping our own kind of identity and, as you say, not just doing something different from magic for the sake of doing something different from magic. Yeah, you know, I think what what Tyler was exceptional at is he has a very good analytical mind for things like balancing, right? He understands probabilities and and the way that cards interact. And so that was where he was really instrumental. and, you know, me, my dad and Tyler, when we started out on this project, we made it really clear for all of us that, you know, you have to leave your ego at the door. The objective is to make the best game. It's not about getting uh-huh. your idea pushed in here. It's about when we bring this product to play testers, what resonates, what, you know, that that is honest. That's the litmus test of a game, right, is when you bring it out to market, do people like it? <laughs> Right? Um, yeah. is, is it fun? Is it different? Is it unique? And so I think that in order to do that, you have to be very customer driven. You have to be very much putting in the mindset of, you know, this isn't about your idea or my idea. We just have to be able to take and throw away ideas um, kind of at will. And I think everyone on the team um, knew that. And I kind of tried to set that as a very clear standard initially. Um, and so I think in that sense, we all we all worked well and, and we had different spheres that we focused on. Like I said, like I think Tyler was very good at the balancing and, and introducing this mechanic. To, is it going to lead to other related problems? Because that's another yeah. big thing in game design, right? You you change one thing, but it affects this other area. Um, so that's a that's another hurdle that we that we worked on. But um, I think that's where it's also really important to to have a design cycle that allows you to really robustly test um the thing you know uh, running a bunch of internal play tests but i think most importantly outside play tests um and then taking that feedback and, and what i've always told people is it's about i think aggregating trends so if, if one person says this is imbalanced right or even five people say this is imbalanced you write it down you record it um but you you can't just change things you know, every time you get a comment. But when you have 20, 30 people, 40 people from playtest that say the wind condition is happening like this, then you need to pull that out and you need to say, okay, this is a trend um, and we need to address this specific problem because there is a balancing issue. And so we ran our playtest like that. We essentially, you know, looked for those trends and we always had slips that people filled out after they did playtests. What did they like? What did they dislike? Um, wh- how was the game won? Um, and we gathered all of that data and continually looked at it and tried to refine it. Um, and then, you know, encourage people after they played the game to go to Board Game Geek, um, you know, leave feedback. That's something actually I, I kind of messed up on. I did that way too late in the cycle. Um, yeah. You know, out of all of our playtesting, I started I started that about like two months ago, realizing, oh, no, Board Game Geek, I need to have all of these. You know, we had so many people playtest this. I need to get their feedback. And so now I'm reaching back out to all of these emails and saying, hey, please leave a review, you know, based on, on what you thought. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been phenomenal. Everyone who's left, you know, feedback has been, has been really helpful. Um, but yeah, that's another thing I think is important. And, you know, board game geek ratings is another kind of controversy that you could stumble into. But, uh, uh, but I think it is good to, you know, get people to write about what their experiences is, what they like, what they don't like. Um, mm. cause it's all about providing information to the buyer and making sure that, you know, they, they understand what they're getting. Uh, was it easy to, for you to, um, get play play test groups together again because of being you know Tyler's involvement in that was it did you find it easier to kind of get involved in groups get people involved get the play testing together and things like that um because of the connections that you had then 
Um, so, so that's an interesting question. Getting playtests together, no problem. But the hmm. important, the important piece is not just getting playtests; it's getting non-biased playtests, right? So yeah. we have lots of connections. But if it's if it's friends, if it's people you even know from industry, the problem yeah. is those people aren't going to give you you know unbiased feedback. They're they're like, oh, you're making a game that's so fun. So really, you know, the best, the highest quality playtests. We're going to local gaming stores and saying, hey, we're a local um, designer. And we're bringing this game out to Kickstarter we'd love to have a game night right and then you get you know say seven or eight people you bring a couple decks and you just start running and that that feedback i think was was the best and we had you know i don't know total to date but i think we've done at least maybe 60 of those type of events and so that kind of feedback i think is is really great was it maybe sometimes a case of saying like tyler stay in the van because uh, no, if they know, because if they know who he is, it's like it's going to be a different, you know. Is it, you know, it's to get the feedback, as you said, as opposed to getting some kind of like um, somebody kind of saying, "Oh, this is really good. This is amazing," because of whoever's kind of involved, the kind of the sycophantic kind of praise that, you know, people are just trying to be nice because they want to kind of be nice because sure. they know you guys kind of. Are kind of around. Exactly. Exactly. What I mean, why? I, I know it's you know the st- stupidest question of the night um, is going to be, <laughs> why a card game and why not a, you know, why not a worker placement game or why not a miniatures game or, you know, why why was there a temptation? I mean, was this one of the games that came to fruition? I mean, do you have? Or was this one of the easiest ones to kind of get off the ground and get going? Yeah, you know, that's that's an awesome question. And I think that there's a ton of different types of directions we could have gone and mechanics we could have gone. I really feel like right now in the market, um, having a really high quality, fast paced, quick, very portable game, again, kind of Star Realm-esque um, in that capacity has a lot of value. Um, I think that there is so many good games out there, um, but I do notice there's kind of a trend towards slightly heavier games um, and a little bit upscale price point. So bringing in something that is you know a little bit more manageable, um, just kind of like a smaller box game, but still has that rich strategy that you can bring you know you know slide it in your pocket right i mean this is going to come in a tuck box so having something that's portable um but still has that depth i think that was appealing to me i I think a lot when i when i'm thinking about games of accessibility right and i think that that there is some advantages to having something in that environment that's just really accessible because it's transportable you can take it wherever you want um and also in the game design itself right because it's a played from one central deck um, as you can imagine it's also something that you know we've striven really hard to not have a high barrier of entry right so that someone doesn't have to take two hours to to learn the rules and pick this up and and i love all sorts of different games including those that are extensive um, and those that are that are shorter but but that was kind of the idea i think it was from a business standpoint it was like hey i think i think there's an opportunity um, here in the market for this type of game. Um, and then I think there's also just the coincidental that when we built this um, and we went out, we kind of had that, that light that clicked that said, hey, this is this is resonating, you know, this is, this is a good game and, and we're churning out all of these different things. Um, but I think before you even get the outside validation, there's the internal validation, you know, for me at least, this is your fir- this is my first stride out into putting out our name. This is our brand, you know, and so to me, that's that's huge, right? This is the first thing that people associate with you. Whatever quality that you put out there, that's going to be what's tied to your name and your company. And so um, that's that's where the quality, I think, component is super big. So yeah. those are kind of a, some of the factors, I guess. Before, obviously, for the, the mechanics side of things, um, you've th- as, have you thought about kind of expansions and stuff like that? Um, I mean, is that is that a kind of an idea for yourselves as well? Because let's face it, Magic: The Gathering is all about the meta game. It's all about the continual change of the meta game and constantly releasing new decks and new packs and stuff like that. So, for somebody who is coming into this, you you know, obviously going into Magic, you're you're having to potentially spend a reasonable amount of money to get involved in that space at all. Right. I mean, with with regards to Archon, I mean, 
are you looking at this from a let's get the game out, let's get the game live, and then is there expansions you're thinking about, or are you thinking, well, let's you know, let's let's start with a set deck and see how we go with that. What sh- what was your kind of your thoughts behind that? <laughs> I'm laughing to myself because, you know, my dad, if he was here, would be jumping up and down. He's always been the huge, like, you know, pushing for expansion, expansion, and we're going to do this and this yeah. and this. And I'm always like, you know, hey, let's let's get through hurdle one first. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the answer to that question, I think, is that we definitely, all the time, you know, our wheels are churning about, hey, we could add this mechanic. We could do activated abilities in this context. We could do this, this. So that, that list is always accumulating. But my focus is very much, again, on getting this first game out to market. Um, and, and once, if, if the community and if the people receive that and they love it, um, absolutely, we'll, we'll expand. And, and that's where, you know, setting really strong core mechanics, and this is something that I think Magic does a phenomenal job of, yeah. is their core mechanics are very strong. So as the game has grown, they've been able to adapt and play with those in so many ways because their phases and how the game is structured is very concrete. And so that was, again, something that we focused on, having those strong fundamentals so we could scale the game up. Um, but I think that there's always this thing of, of reality. You know, you, you need to get it out there and you need to make sure that it's received by the community and by the people. And so that's where my, my head's at. My head at is at, let's get through, you know, let's run the Kickstarter. Um, and if we, we if we have traction and we have people that are, are passionate about it, then we'll, we'll be more than happy to continue to add on things. And there'll be no end, I'm sure, to what we could connect but um, we're definitely not looking at taking it any kind of like trading card game angle um, if yeah. anything it would just be you know another game an attachment like a dominion expansion or something like that yeah no i just i've seen um recently and this is myself and it's uh, is that there's there are kickstarters that are going out there that seem to already have kind of like expansions and things like that in there as almost like stretch goals kind of thing or additional purchases and things like that and sometimes um it's wondering well if that's an expansion why not just put it in the main game yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> if this is your first releasing a new ip or a new game put it in the game <laughs> yeah totally and kind of and thing you know and I think another thing is is just design costs. You know, I mean, um, you know, I'm not privy to all of the rates that every game designer pays, um, but for our project, you know, we are working with some really high-end artists and graphic designers, um, and that kind of stuff's not cheap. You know, so before you go and you sink thousands and thousands of more dollars into additional art for new cards and new expansions, um, you know, where my head is at is you need to kind of do the, the proof of concept on the on the front end. So uh, yeah, that's, I've seen, that's, yeah. that's another side of it. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I get, again, I've seen, um, I've seen very, I've seen a lot of Kickstarters that have, you know, a lot of expansions. And then when you speak to people that have actually got the game, they say, well, yeah, I, I play the core game so many times i my time is limited i have a limited time to play the core game so the expansions have usually ended up just staying in the box and i haven't actually gone ahead and and kind of um had a, had the chance to kind of play them yeah. um and i also and you'll be able yeah i mean you'll know this because of you know the the kind of the play testing that you've done sure. is that you find new strategies if you limit what people are able to use then people will will find new ways to twist and turn different strategies and almost create new strategies that you haven't even considered yeah i mean um i play as i say said already i play a lot of star realms um online against and i've got probably a group of about 10 people that we play with on a regular basis um and there's the option always when you select the online challenge to go ahead with the three or four different expansions that you offer. But sometimes the best, most fraught games are the ones which are just for the core game because you know exactly what's going to be potentially be coming out as a card. They know what's going to be coming out potentially as a card. And the kind of the whole entire strategy changes. You start to almost play it in a a kind of a chess-like manner, you know, if you see a particular card, you're going to take that. You know, if you see the um, if you see the recycling station, 
it doesn't matter what other you know which other factions you're going for you're picking up the recycling recycling station station. or if you see like the brain world you're going for the brain world you know kind of thing or if you see you know you know the you know anything like that the last port of call you'll pick that up you know you you know these are all things that you, you know everybody the strategy becomes an awful lot tighter because people recognize the cards Whereas sometimes on an expansion to a game, there's so many different variables going about. And you can, I guess I can see why when you're doing like magic tournaments, they say, well, you're, you're, you're kind of drafting from this deck or you're playing with these set decks. This is what you're allowed to do. Because otherwise, you know, it, how, how easy is it to then kind of formulate, formulate a strategy? I was just, you know, yeah. interested to see where your kind of your head was in terms of, in terms of ex- in kind of in terms of expansions, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, I was I was just gonna say, yeah, I totally agree with that sentiment though. That the limitations I think is huge, and that's one of the things when you're playing a you know a game from a 50 sue card deck, right? You start to learn, and in Archon, there's four copies of each card, right? So you you start to learn the different possible iterations, and and I think it does have very much that kind of analytical side of you're now familiar with kind of all of these cards and now it's how can you use them in all of these different kind of combinations and iterations so um yeah i definitely think that limitation can breed kind of increased strategic depth 100 percent. okay okay i have if i've got a kind of a i've got a deck of art from archon in my hands okay yeah. And I'm about to start playing. I mean, what's how do I go about playing? What are the kind of the mechanics? Yeah. Um I mean that's this is the important thing. And you're not allowed to say it's like magic or you accept you do this instead. <laughs> you mentioned the bidding you've mentioned the bidding side of things, which I'm kinda of fascinated about. Yeah. So so how yeah. how would you go about playing around? Yeah, so the objective in, in Archon is that you're trying to bring four clans, one of each or four of one type into play to win. Um, and the way that you bring a clan into play is that you place it down and every card, every card, both clan and non-clan cards in the game has an influence value, right? So you can think of that as your resources, your currency value. So when you have okay. a card in your hand, you place it out and you're placing cards face down to try to win that clan, to try to exert influence and win that clan in a bid. And the other players place cards face down and think of it like an auction, right? Whoever flips and has the highest value, they put those cards in the discard pile and they take the card. So mm-hmm. one so one component of it is kind of the strategy and posturing behind trying to win these cards. Now, the idea, again, with the multi-use of the cards, though, is that cards can be played as actions, they can be played as counters, or they can be played um, as ac- uh, the clan cards can be played for the actual bids. And so, and ever, and all cards have different types, and you can see what types they can be played as on the bottom. But the concept here is that you know you could play a card that might be able to take a card from an opponent's hand, as an example, right? And that mm-hmm. card can be played for that kind of tactical benefit, or you can use it to try to win a clan that's going to move you closer to winning. Um, and then the third usage for any action card, there's just a simple matching system when it comes to counters. So if you have the same card that they have, um, you can play that out and that will negate an effect. So you're kind of constantly thinking in your head, do I, do I move closer to the win condition? Do I keep cards back to kind of defend my hand? Um, mm-hmm. Or do I kind of play offensively to strategically increase my position by either taking cards and giving me more options or trying to use my actions to take other clans that are on the boards for other players and bring those in um so at a core level that's that's the concept you're you're trying to race to get those clans out while trying to think of how to use those cards um and and for the vast majority there's a couple little bit slightly more complex but a lot of the cards are, are kind of very straightforward in terms of take a card from a player's hand or you know take a, a clan from the table and put it in your hand and so a lot of the strategy is kind of imbued in what order you're playing things and and how you're kind of thinking about um you know the short versus long um game of how, how to kind of approach it so that's it like in a 30 second nutshell <laughs> of, of what you're trying that's... to do inside of Argon. <laughs> That's a podcast over, folks. Everybody go home. <laughs> You're experts. Okay. Casey's finished. <laughs> That's, we're not in an elevator, though, unless you're in an elevator. Are you in an elevator? Um. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, your art... Okay, the artwork side of things. 
<laughs> yeah, the art, the art. Um, so basically, here's how it started out. We were looking for art, and we went on to Deviant Art, which has a lot of really talented artists. We put up yeah. a job, a job listing. We got like a hundred people that reached out to us. It was crazy. Um, we didn't hire any of them. It just wasn't, it wasn't the right fit for whatever reason. Uh, we went through a ton of portfolios. It just, it just didn't connect. And so the next thing was, I just started to research people on Deviant Art. Like I started to look for their art, um, and and started to connect it with a number of designers, some super talented people. Um, but a lot of the people, especially the ones that had worked on Magic: The Gathering, were just very expensive. I mean, you're talking a thousand dollars plus per piece, um, kind of price yeah. ranges. So that was kind of untenable for us at our current stage. Um, but eventually, we connected with a, a one of them who was friends with another individual. Um, and he basically said, shoot, shoot him an email. So we shot him an email, started a conversation, um, and he ended up being our lead artist. And he was, and then about halfway through our project, he also started doing work um, for the Game of Thrones TCG. Um, at which oh, right, okay. And so at which point um, his prices jumped up dramatically. <laughs> uh, but but um, you know that was kind of a cool cool thing and and we were just thrilled with with everything he produced i mean just an incredibly talented person um and we had a number of other artists that we brought on board to do like map design to do graphic design um and our graphic designer had previously had worked and had exposure with both pathfinder um and magic the gathering so some pretty big brands um that yeah. then worked in graphic design work um so just a, a really talented uh, bunch and i think that honestly we got really lucky that personalities wise too they were just all really nice people that were you know very reasonable and were really cared about the project and wanted to put in that extra effort to refine things it wasn't like you know you having to hound them and say like i, I need this done i mean they they really took passion in in what we were trying to build and the storyline and, and and creating that and so um, yeah, I'm just incredibly grateful in my first foray into hiring and working with contractors. I'm sure not everyone gets quite that lucky when it comes to just having, you know, those kind of personalities. Um, but I'm definitely very grateful, um, for, for who we put together on that team. And so it's been, it's been a journey, you know, all these pieces usually take three weeks, four weeks, um, sometimes even longer per piece. And so that's, as you can imagine, it's a, you know, many, many, many months are passing. And, and so you're using prototypes and you're using placeholders while you're, you know, play testing you're and working for the, the other side. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Is it important that you're going to be pushing with a consistent art style? Because one thing you can say, you can say about magic. Okay. No, I'm not going to say nasty things about magic, but <laughs> it can be inconsistent. Okay. <laughs> and one of the things I like, I love about Ashes Rise of the Phoenix Born is my entire deck looks the same in terms of art styles, and I love that. I love, you know, sometimes I'll just lay it out, um, and then just look at it because the art style is very, very consistent all the way through. Is that what you're trying to do with Archon as well? Is to to try and keep the art style consistent as you kind of go through, develop the game, and 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 kind of add more to the game as you go on. Yeah. Absolutely. And and that's one of the things I, I again that we really take pride in. I, I posted pictures of our clans and I asked like board game communities, I said, uh, we had two artists that drew each of these two clans. Can you tell who drew what? And about uh, 50% of them got it wrong. So I think that was a good test that oh, it, it was good, yeah. it was hard for them to differentiate. Um, but yeah, if you if you check out, um, you know, we have a print and play that's available so people can kind of see all the artwork. Um, and I think that the two artists that we used for for all those sketches did a really phenomenal job of of kind of just having it be very synchronous. Um, so that's definitely something that I you know had that kind of specific artistic vision in mind, and I think both of them were able to hold to that really well. So definitely important for me. And why? I mean, why Kickstarter? Yeah, yeah, Kickstarter. I mean, yeah. Oh, oh go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say because you guys kind of you you kind of seem switched on, and you say you're obviously you're, you've you've got kind of there's family backing in there as well, and you've you've obviously come so far with getting the art and everything like that. I mean, is is the Kickstarter there because is it for you? Is it kind of like a double side of things? Is it to help? raise 
kind of the profile and awareness of the game in the first place as well as looking at funding? Or is it a, if we don't do it on Kickstarter, it's not going to appear? Yeah, you know, I think I think that there's kind of a couple reasons for Kickstarter. One, I really do believe in in product validation. You know, um, I try to yeah. not be naive enough to think that you know that this one thing that you create is just is just guaranteed going to work. You need to make sure that the community and the people that are playing these games and that are enjoying these products they think so too. And so Kickstarter is mm-hmm. a way for you to do that. It's a way for you to put your product out and say this is what we're about. Um, and let the let the people decide, right? Let the pocketbooks decide, because I think unfortunately what happens a lot of times is you know people come in and, and we think about that with our Kickstarter goal too. We're running a Facebook event and we're trying to bring in traffic and we're going to make our goal conditional on that. You know, we're not just picking a number out of a hat and saying fifty thousand dollars. You know, if you if you have you know five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars of support and you just say fifty thousand um, dollars, you know, then you risk taking all those people and having that be a flop halfway through um yeah and so i think that one of it is is the validation aspect and then i think too there is a little bit of that idea of um just bringing it out and um you know kind of publicity and exposing it to people i think kickstarter has changed a lot um from what i've seen over the years it used to be kind of like hey we got this cool concept fund us to make it um yeah and, and now if i think if you're not about 90 percent done um you're going to be in tough shape because there's some big dogs that are 90% done that have products that look incredible and videos that look incredible. Um, yeah. So you're up against some some tough some tough competition. So I think a little you know a couple different factors there. Yeah. No. I know. I mean, I know you've you've had um, the fan of mine, Mark Neidlinger, who's on your kind of your design blog, and yeah. I mean the stuff that he produced for Epoch was just phenomenal. In yes. terms of the quality of the components from the kind of the very very beginning, um, yeah. which is you know, which is, and you're you're right. I mean, it is people are ex- people have a kind of an expectation of what they what they rock up on Kickstarter, and you I see people get caught short. I've seen there's posts on Facebook on Facebook groups today about guys that are launching their Kickstarter and saying, "Hey, we launched our Kickstarter and." Um, what do you think? And people are going in and just saying, did you tell anyone, show anyone else this campaign before you press the live button again? Which is unfortunate, but I think that there, there's not people that are wanting to crucify and, and stick you up there and kind of knock you down onto the ground. There are a lot of people who are just very open and honest and are willing to give you an opinion, provided that you're willing to reach out to them, and that's why there's all these kind of Facebook groups, which is you know, which is a which is a really really good idea. I don't know of there's many other industries out there that would have even the video game industry. I wouldn't imagine kind of Shigeru Miyamoto or you know anyone like that going. Here's the latest. Here's going to be the latest newest Nintendo IP, and we're gonna you know what do you guys think of the ideas and putting it out there and letting some you know essentially a public group go in there and. And have a look at the rules, and have a look at the graphics, and then come back with some, some very um, brutal honesty in yeah. some, in kind of some, in kind of some cases. Um, <clears throat> has it been totally? Has it been important for you to kind of get the word out there as quickly as you can? Because you're, I mean, when is it you're thinking about launching? So we're going to be launching on February first. You know, barring some sort of setback, but that's when we're we're set okay. and ready to go. Is February first? Yeah. So so pretty soon, right? You know, in in under two months now, um, we're planning on you know flipping the switch. <laughs> so it's yeah. uh, it's been the last I think really you know I would say three to six months is when I've kind mm. of shifted my brain from design mode to marketing mode. <laughs> um, and, it, and, and it's funny because I have a background, you know what I do, I'm a small business consultant and I work heavily in like marketing, right? So uh, we do a lot of marketing type of stuff. So I have a background there, but to me, the vast majority of this was just spent on design because again, my philosophy was if the, if the underlying product isn't phenomenal, then it doesn't matter, right? You, you could have the best marketing out there and you might get your product maybe even to be successful in a launch, but then if yeah. all the feedback is crummy, it doesn't matter. So to me, it's all about the product, um, but you do need to get exposure. There is This is a very loud space, so there is a yeah, ton of different players. Yeah. 
Um, and I think that the best way is just to to be honest, to be authentic, to put yourself out there. Like you're saying, I, I love that thing you're saying about the Facebook groups. I'm I've gotten really involved in the last few months in a number of them, um, and I think it's just really cool to to share the hobby. You know, even taking a step back. You know, my my like recommendation to the to a lot of founders is you know to not even don't don't focus on throwing it out there just focus on actually building relationships you know yeah uh, get out there and sometimes you might try stuff that might not work like I you know I posted I said um, hey guys like I'm a marketing consultant um, and a lot of you guys I know are trying to launch games if I can help you with Facebook ads if I can help you with anything you know I'm happy to do that free of charge as, as just a way to kind of add value and I thought oh man Casey your inbox is gonna be overrun <laughs> there's gonna be so many no. people that are gonna take you and, and no that was not the case <laughs> but no. But, but you know it's just a it's just a learning process and I think that um, I've had you know the, the the most enjoyment and fulfillment that I've had is when I I kind of almost even took a step back from that and just started talking to people about the games I was playing and the things I was enjoying and the mechanics and and really starting to engage and that I think is kind of the authentic interaction that actually builds relationships so that someone's like, Oh, okay. I, I know who this Casey guy is. And then, you know, they maybe connect and, and you're, you're kind of more than just the game. You're, you're a person that they actually know. Um, so I think, I think it's really positive. And another thing just on the gaming communities is, um, I just really enjoy the camaraderie too. You know, I, I love that in games we can get away from, from politics or religion, orientation, whatever kind of different thing, labels or things that people have. Gaming is just about sharing a communal experience together as a group. Um, and so I think that, you know, especially with, you know, things and how the world is today, I think that's really valuable. I, I, I genuinely believe in the value of gaming communities um, to mm. support each other and uplift other people around and, and and share feedback, you know, to other designers to say, hey, this is what I've done. This is what I've seen. I ran into this pitfall. Let me tell you about it so you don't run into that pitfall. And, you know, Jamie obviously runs an incredible blog where he helps, you know, an immense amount to young um, people that are going through this Kickstarter journey to kind of avoid some of those pitfalls. But I think that that's a really, you know, meaningful thing for, for everyone to do, to share whatever kind of wisdom they can. Okay. Have you got a price? Yeah, yeah. So we're we're gonna be twenty dollars. So the game is gonna be twenty dollars, um, and we might you know have some slight you know for multiple units we might scale that back um, a little bit. Um, but that's that's what we're looking at. Um, you know, it's it's a small game, um, and we're gonna try to kind of keep that pretty pretty set. And in terms of of stretch goals, I don't think we're gonna go too crazy. Um, I think we're gonna try to add some stuff that we think is valuable and interesting. One of the things that we've heard from um, a lot of people that we play tested with, when we kind of asked them what type of stuff might you be interested in, um, they liked the idea of instead of just including a promo card, including a variable promo card, so that you know, say you have ten promo cards and it's randomized mm. throughout the deck, um, people expressed they thought that would be really interesting, and so um, you know that is going to take a little bit of design time to put that together, but again, yeah. we thought we'd pin that. That that seemed to me like a cool kind of like stretch goal type of thing like okay yeah if we hit this milestone then we'll kind of you know pass on the savings that we get from being able to have a larger order by you know putting this thing together so and are you going to be shipping worldwide as well yeah so right now we're thinking um u.s and 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 areas in europe um and we i'm continuing to learn and and the shipping world with kickstarter is kind of crazy (laughs) yes Um, it is so so I'm trying to make sure that we don't run into any pitfalls. You know, the number one reason that I hear that most Kickstarters run into trouble is shipping. Everyone says, you know, I've talked to a ton of people on this and they say, no matter how confident you are with a number, add two months to it in terms of expected date. Just add two months, period. Um, because if you deliver your product faster, people will be happy. But if you're six months overdue, that's not good. <laughs> um, so Yeah, I've seen a lot, though, that are six months over and people are just like, mm, okay. I kind of got I got excited during the campaign. You're telling me I'm now getting a game. I kind of forgot about the game. I was <laughs> yeah. I've seen the the kind of the community, and everyone's like, "Yeah, yeah, this is amazing, brilliant, this is fantastic." And then everybody goes their separate ways, <laughs> and then the community board goes quiet. And then it's like, "Oh, we're getting a game. Oh, I forgot about getting a game. I was just getting excited about the community and talking to people and changing my badge name and stuff like that kind of thing." So <laughs> it's gonna. 
it's all gonna it's all gonna good fun. Yeah, shipping is funny because <laughs> I think the latest thing about shipping is them talking about um, charging shipping after the show, if you know what I mean. So yeah. people are kind of like saying, well, it's you know it's twenty dollars and and shipping will be charged once the pledge manager's up, and I think that's to do with. Well, it's to do with a couple of things. I think it's to do with the cut that Kickstarter are taking because they were taking it on, obviously, the full funding amount. So if you've budgeted particular amounts for shipping, you could end up getting a percentage kind of whacked off, um, which yeah. isn't great. Um, I mean, the other side of it is there'd be probably be not very nice to find out that you've paid, you know, $30 for a game to find out the shipping's another $25 on top. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're not going to do that. Um, yeah, we're no. going to charge it up front. Um, if, if we have to take, a, you know, a slightly marginally lower cut, we take a slightly marginally lower cut. Yeah, but okay. I definitely think transparency is important. We, we will charge for shipping, and that will just be part of, you know, probably be a couple dollars domestically and, and slightly higher internationally. I think because of the type of game we have, shipping shouldn't be a huge price issue, right? We're not we're not shipping something like Gloomhaven, um, that is a massive a massive uh, box. Um, Let, so, let's face it, there's most national international companies out there aren't shipping boxes the size of Gloomhaven. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, it's it's the stuff of I think Gloomhaven boxes is kind of the stuff of legend at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's potentially there's they're using um you know disused Gloomhaven boxes as as potential um affordable housing for people trying to get on the housing ladder <laughs> for the first time um because the storage space is good and generally the room sizes are on average or bigger um, <laughs> which is the way it goes yeah um no I mean best of luck for the campaign when Thank it comes you. round. Yeah, thank you. Um, if people have listened tonight and they've went, this actually sounds twenty. It's twenty bucks, twenty dollars, isn't it? Yep. Do you know how much that is in pounds? That's about four pound fifty. It's not. That's a lie. It's about seventeen pounds because <laughs> we we destroyed our exchange rate. Um, <laughs> but that's you know so probably another ten pound on top of that for shipping twenty seven pounds. You know that's not an awful lot of money for what looks like. And have a look at the game. Because it looks interesting. As I say, where can they find you on the internets yeah. if they want to find you, Mr. Hill? <laughs> yeah, so we're basically Archon Game at everywhere. So our website is archongame.com. If you want to mm-hmm. find us on Facebook, it's Archon Game. If you want to find us on Twitter, it's Archon Game. Instagram, it's Archon Game. Um, and you can search us on Board Game Geek at just type in Archon. We have our listing there. Um, so that's where you can go in and check out some of our art. And we have a whole bunch of, you know, both artwork, some videos, some playthroughs um, on our Facebook group. So if you want to check some of that out and watch some people playing, look at the actual cards, see some. Or We have a video guy who's done some neat animations, who's the one de- designing our Kickstarter video, um, you know, of the archer firing the bow and the orc screaming and just kind of fun stuff like that. So, um, yeah, cruise on by. And, and if you, if you want to test it out, we have the print and play up. So, you know, another thing, you know, anyone who wants to say, all right, well, is this really different? Is this really unique? Um, We'd love for you to test it and, you know, give us your feedback um, on that, too. So that's available. You can go on um, to our our Facebook and you can find that print and play, too, to uh, get access to it. Excellent. Well, we will take all of these links and we will put them in the show notes so that we have notes to show. Um, (laughs) Great. If you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, and bless you all for all of you that do. I have no idea why you keep doing it, but thank you very much. It must be, I don't know, because it's coming up to Christmas or something like that. Um, You must have all heard it's my birthday next week, so you're all being very, very kind to me just now. Um, You can go on to Twitter, which is We're Not Wizards. You can go on to Facebook, which again is We're Not Wizards. You can go on to YouTube and search for We're Not Wizards Tabletop Podcast and you will find us because, um, well, basically our lovely podcast host Podbean automatically put all our episodes up onto YouTube because they're cool like that. <laughs> you can email us, magic at we'renotwizards.com. You can um, find us on Instagram. Guess what? We're not wizards. 
Um, you can find us on Stitcher and Spreaker and Acast and all these lovely little kind of podcast catchy places. Um, if you like what you've heard tonight um, and you want to drop us a subscription at Apple Podcasts, that would be absolutely fantastic of you. If you want to take it to the next level and decide that you really, really like us and you want to give us a review, then I guarantee that you will actually have a fantastic Christmas. And if you don't, then you can send me a complaint letter in writing to the address that we leave at the bottom of the show. Um, If you are going to leave us a review, remember, don't give us 10 because that makes me very big-headed. Don't leave us a one, because that'll make us cry. But leave us a five, because in the middle, kind of in the average, because we are very average. But the person who's not been average tonight is the rather fantastic, the rather wonderful Mr. Casey Hill. (laughs) So thank you very, very much for coming on. Best of luck with the campaign. We shall be, we'll be keeping an eye on this one, because I do, I'm a sucker for a good bit of art. And I do love games which aren't Magic the Gathering, that are card-based, so I'm going to put it that way. This, you know, that Magic the Gathering joke's gone on far too far. Um, but no, thank you very, very much for coming on today. Um, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure. Awesome, thank um, you. Likewise. There are only a couple more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Casey? No. Fantastic. <laughs> and this, and the second thing is to say goodbye. So as I say, it's a goodbye from. Was it the a third? <laughs> a third of the Hill family involved in this Archon game. So say goodbye, Casey. All right. Uh, yeah. Thank. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, thank. Uh, it's a great conversation. Thank you. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes. Um, <laughs> if you are interested in picking up something new in terms of an IP, which sounds like it's different, which looks fantastic, I'd advise you go and give their, give their game a little look when it comes rolling around in February. We will certainly be making everybody aware of his existence when it does launch in the Kickstarter on the February's the firsts. Um, But until the next time, goodbye. Say bye, Casey. (laughs) Bye.